Hi, and welcome to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. In our study of Galatians 3, called Sons of Abraham, we see that the Apostle Paul is taking on the issue of faith versus works for salvation. He says clearly that those of faith are the sons of Abraham and are blessed. That's good news, right? Well, not to someone who is a direct descendant of Abraham and has been trusting in the law and works to be blessed. This was a big deal, and we're going to find out more today in a message called The Blessed Life, Part 2. What is the identifying mark of the people of God? It is not circumcision. In chapter 3, verses 2 to 5, in verse 14, Paul says, if you want to be marked out as being longing to the people of God, possessing the blessings that were promised to Abraham, you are a person filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. The identifying mark of the people of God are the people who are possessed by the Holy Spirit. And all throughout the rest of Galatians, as we continue to go through this book, you're going to see how the Holy Spirit plays an incredibly prominent role in this letter. Abraham wasn't justified because of his virtuous character. He had none. He wasn't justified because of his righteous works, because he performed none. He just believed what God promised to him. He believed the gospel, chapter 3, verse 8. You know, this is a remarkable argument that Paul is doing here. Paul didn't mind offending legalistic people. Neither did Jesus and neither did John the Baptist. It cost John the Baptist his life, it cost Jesus his life, and it cost Paul his life. But yet they did it. Because as Paul says, all the way back up in chapter 1, verse 5, what is at stake in this whole argument is the sufficiency of Christ and the glory of God. And there's nothing more important than that. And so Paul looks at these Judaizers who so deeply boasted of their physical descent from Abraham, and he says, you are not the true people of God. And the people who you think have no blessing, no justification, are not godly. The people who you sit and condemn in judgment, they're the true recipients of God's blessing because of their faith in Christ. Paul was saying to the Judaizers, you don't possess the Holy Spirit. You don't walk in the blessing of God. You don't belong to God. You are condemned people. These are hard words that Paul is speaking to these Judaizers. So that's the background. So let's return back to the chief question that Paul's raising. Who does God accept and on what basis? And look at verse 9, how Paul concludes it. He concludes this, the answer to that question by stating that God accepts the ones who believe God and don't work for God. God accepts those who believe Him who don't work for Him. Now clearly, after you believe in God, oh, you work. 
You work really hard. In fact, Paul said, I labored more than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. The gospel is not a license to be lazy. It is not a license to sin. It is not a license to be indifferent. It is the power to motivate you to live for God and other people. But God in justification does not accept you because you work hard, but because you believe Him. Paul's whole emphasis right here in verses 6 to 9 lies on the word faith. In verse 9, he uses the word faith twice. In verses 6 to 9, he uses the word faith five times. He's just repeating it over and over and over. And look how Paul in verse 9 describes Abraham. This is very important. Look how he describes him. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of works. I hope you saw that I didn't read that correctly. (laughs) How does Paul characterize Abraham? Man of faith. A man of faith. All who believe the gospel share in the blessing God promised to Abraham. What is this blessing? It is this. It is justification by grace through faith alone. It's the imputation of Christ's righteousness. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit who applies it. That is what the blessing that was promised to Abraham is. It is the justification of God. The imputation of Christ's righteousness. All of that perfection of His obedience. Reckoned to your account through faith. And then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and make that come alive. And so God accepts men through faith, not on physical descent or works of the law, namely circumcision. Listen to Martin Luther. This is great. This is what he says. He says, Thus Paul battles against the confidence of the Jews who proudly boasted, We are the offspring of Abraham. Fine. Abraham was circumcised and observed the law. We do the same thing. I concede this. Then what? You do not intend to be righteous and to be saved on this account, do you? No. Let us go to the patriarch Abraham himself and let us see by what means he was justified and saved. Certainly not on account of his outstanding virtues and holy works, Not because he forsook his fatherland, his family, and his father's house. Not because he accepted circumcision and observed the law. Not because he was ready at the command of God to sacrifice his son in whom he had the promise of descendants, but because he believed God. Therefore, he was not justified by anything else except faith. If you want to be justified by the law, your father Abraham could neither be justified nor receive the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit except by faith. Since this is true, according to the testimony of Scripture, why do you contend so for the law and for circumcision and maintain that you have righteousness and salvation through the law? 
when Abraham himself, who was your father, your source and your head, in whom you boast, was justified and saved without the law by faith alone. What reply can be made to this argument? Nothing. There's nothing to reply. Paul says, know this, it's crystal clear. Verse 7, know then, Galatians, it's crystal clear. You have nothing to say. Physical descent, good works of no good works of any kind serve as the ground by which God accepts you. The real sons of Abraham are those who believe God's promises and who don't work for God's favor. So that's Paul's argument. That's the second argument. There's some profound implications, and we just want to look at a couple. As we consider what Paul is saying to the Galatians, I want you to just consider with me several implications of what Paul says, know then, know this. And number one, know this, salvation is not inherited. Salvation is not inherited. God doesn't have any grandchildren. And you might be thinking, well, duh. I mean, that's just so self-evident. It's not. That is not self-evident at all. A Gallup poll released this past Christmas revealed that 78% of Americans identify with some form of the Christian faith. 78%. And though this number has been steadily declining in recent decades, 78% is still quite a large number. But like the Jews who relied on their physical descent from Abraham, many today live with a a false security because of the fact that they were born into a Christian home because their parents took them to church because they grew up going to church or they perhaps graduated from a Christian college or a Christian university. Many people today wrongly trust in their baptism as automatically guaranteeing their salvation. Other people are trusting in the fact that they got confirmed in their religious tradition. So confirmation is what made them a Christian. It's common to find professing Christians in conservative evangelical churches trusting in the fact that they made a, quote, decision for Christ. That they responded to what's called an altar call. Which is not even biblical language for the church. There is no altar in the church. The cross was the altar and Christ destroyed it by sacrificing himself on it. There is no more altar in the church. You don't make a sacrifice for God so that God responds and gives you eternal life in the church. Paul is just saying that God doesn't have any grandchildren. Salvation's not inherited. You don't get a little bit of somebody else's merit and take it for yourself and get yourself there. The covenant that God made with Abraham, it it certainly incorporates Abraham's descendants, but not the descendants on the basis of works or moral virtue or religious duty, but on faith 
individual, personal faith that incorporates you into the corporate body of believers of the people of God. But you are not brought into this corporate thing by anybody else, but through faith in Christ alone. So simply being a physical descendant of Abraham was not enough. Paul repeatedly warned of this, just like Jesus did in John 8. Let me give you two examples. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, who's been circumcised, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the, listen, spirit, not by the letter. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Listen to what Paul says again. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. God only accepts us on the same terms that He accepted Abraham, which is faith alone. And so we can say it like this. Physical descent equals condemnation. Descent by faith equals justification. That's the argument here. Again, Martin Luther says this, descent by blood or physical procreation does not create sons of Abraham in the sight of God. He himself was a father of faith. And he began to be justified and to be pleasing to God, not because he was able to procreate or because he had circumcision in the law, but because he believed God. Therefore, anyone who wants to be a son of Abraham, the believer, must himself believe. Otherwise... He is a son, not of the Abraham who was elected, accepted, and justified, but only the, of the Abraham who procreated, who is nothing else than a man like any other man, conceived, born, and confirmed in sin without the Holy Spirit, and therefore damned. Such, are, such also are the sons who are physically descended from him. They trace nothing back to their father but flesh and blood, sin and death. Therefore, they too are damned. And so this boast, we are the offspring of Abraham, is vain and futile. I've been baptized, it's vain and futile. I've been confirmed, it's vain and futile. I made a decision for Christ, I walked an aisle, I lifted my hand, I prayed a prayer. I nailed some resolutions to a cross at camp. It was sticking the fire. Surrendered all last weekend. I'm coming back again this Sunday to do it again. It's vain and futile. 
It's vain and futile. Look to Christ alone, Paul says. Number two, we who trust in Christ alone, if you trust in Christ alone, we're a blessed people. You know how easy that is just to say that and move on and it does nothing to you? We, we so commonly use this phrase, be blessed, have a blessed day, God bless you. If you sneeze, God bless you. But we rarely stop to think what it really means. For most people, be blessed it means nothing more than a casual word of encouragement. Speak a little good word to somebody, a little friendly, indifferent, you don't care about them kind of word. It's basically just something you say to a person so that you can quickly move on and, and have nothing to do with them. And that's sad. Because even though it's good to speak a word of encouragement to people, which we need to do, wish someone well, which we should, this is not what Paul's getting at in Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. That is not what it means to tell somebody to be blessed. Let me tell you what it means. To be blessed in this context is to be counted righteous in the sight of God through faith alone because of Christ alone for the glory of God alone so that your life is perfectly counted as righteous before God. You're walking around in union with Christ so that God's favor lives and rests upon you forever. That's what it means to be blessed. The imputation of righteousness comes through hearing and believing the gospel. And Paul says the nations of this earth are blessed when they hear and believe the gospel. When, when you hear and believe the gospel, you learn that you're counted by God just as if you've never sinned and just as if you've always obeyed. And that is amazing blessing. You, you walk around today by God who created you, who is perfectly holy and has no right whatsoever. You have no right whatsoever to have any of this justification. He accepts you because of His Son. He says, just as if you've never sinned, just as if you've always obeyed, you're my child, you're a son, and I love you. What a blessing that is to walk in that. And here's a third implication. We'll come back to this in two weeks, just to introduce it. We are blessed to be a gospel blessing. God has blessed us so that we might in turn bless others. That is why we exist here as a church. We don't exist here so that we can just congratulate each other week after week after week. We exist to be a gospel blessing to this community and to this world. So how do we bless others? Listen to Martin Luther again because he says it best. To bless is to preach and teach the word of the gospel. To confess Christ and to propagate the knowledge of him among others. For we hear, when we hear the gospel, this is what we hear in this, when we preach and teach the gospel to others, whether it be one-on-one or in a group setting or overseas or wherever we go, this is what they hear and this is how they're blessed. For we hear that our sins are forgiven. 
More than that, that we have been accepted by God. That God is our Father and that we are His children with whom He does not want to be wrathful, but whom He wants to liberate from sin. Liberate. God the Father wants to liberate people from sin and death and all evil and to whom He wants to grant righteousness, life, and His kingdom. Not just take away your sin, but give you His kingdom. If God's promise to Abraham was to extend that blessing to all the nations which will come to, guess what was necessary for that to occur? His mission to the Gentiles. He had to go out. And just as Paul's mission to the Gentiles was necessary, so was ours. Just briefly as we conclude, this raises the question, what is evangelism? What is it? Do you know what evangelism is? It's simply doing exactly what Paul does here in Galatians chapter 3, which is this. Faithfully and clearly articulating, explaining the gospel. That's evangelism. Too often evangelism, especially in conservative evangelicalism, is thought of in terms of response. Calling people to come to Jesus. Telling people that they must be born again. Challenging them to commit their lives to Christ. Now, those are important because there is a demand that the gospel puts out there. The gospel, when you declare the gospel, it's not like declaring Terrell Owens just scored five touchdowns for the Dallas Cowboys. It's much more important news than that. You cannot be morally neutral once you've heard the declaration of the gospel. But telling people those things is only telling people what they ought to do. Or what happens to them after they've received the gospel, namely being born again, being regenerated. But evangelism, listen, evangelism is simply sharing with a person a clear explanation of the gospel. That's evangelism. And so missions and evangelism, Paul says in Galatians 3.8 as we come to it, is simply the natural consequence the overflow of the gospel being the gospel in our lives. And if your life is not flowing out in mission to spread this blessing to others, it has not been spread in your heart. Because the gospel, listen, when you are blessed and through the power of the Holy Spirit come to a spiritual understanding of this blessing that Paul is talking about of imputation of righteousness, you can't help but to share that with others naturally. Right? I mean, think of the greatest thing that's ever happened to you in your life thus far. What was the natural thing you wanted to do with that? Go tell other people. Because you wanted them to share in the happiness that you were feeling about that. Whatever it was. 
Paul is saying this. He says that the, those who are blessed are the people of faith along with Abraham. And he says, in you shall all the nations be blessed. When, when you are blessed with the gospel and it's just feeding your soul, listen, you can't help but to share with others because you want them to share in your joy that you found. That's evangelism. I never evangelized before I came to the gospel. It was just one of those duty-driven, just horrible things that you got to go knock on a neighbor's door on Sunday afternoon after church with your dad. Did you guys ever grow up doing that? It was just wretched. I used to hate it. But you know what evangelism is now? When I've, by God's grace, God has taught me the gospel of just a teeny weeny little bit. Just that little tiny taste makes me go to other people. Hey, there's something great here. It's just naturally, you just share it with them. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Blessed Life, Part 2. More from the series is coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.